Welcome back to the Down to Earth podcast. Our health is made up of many different facets, including our physical, mental, spiritual, and emotional health. To live optimally, it's ideal that all parts of our health are in balance. Our guest today is the one and only Vanessa Fitzgerald. Vanessa is an acclaimed health and life coach, recipe developer, detox expert, and founder of the Instagram account, These Honey. Vanessa learned about health and wellness through her own personal health challenges with PCOS and Hashimoto's, which propelled her on a powerful detox journey. In this episode, Vanessa will be sharing her health and wellness tips for achieving optimal health, detoxing, the importance of taking care of our mental health, finding purpose, and living a meaningful life. Here we go. Welcome to the Down to Earth podcast. We're your hosts, sibling duo, Jonathan and Lorena. In this podcast, we'll be spilling the tea on all things health and wellness related. This podcast is designed to motivate you to take care of your physical, mental, and spiritual health. We'll be bringing on doctors, healers, fitness experts, business leaders, and innovators. Thanks for joining us in our mission of making the world a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Here we go. Hey, Vanessa, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? We're doing well. We're really excited to be chatting with you. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us. And I'd love to get started by learning a little bit more about your background and what ultimately got you interested in health and wellness. What got me interested? So I grew up in a household that was not very health conscious, but in that time period, health and wellness wasn't really a thing. So, you know, we didn't know that McDonald's could, you know, potentially kill you eventually, things like that. So I grew up on fast food and whatever was quick and convenient by a single working mother. But my health started to decline. I was always sick. I was always on antibiotics. I got acne as a teenager. And I don't know, I I always like to call it a divine intervention because there really was no one leading me to this place, except for I just woke up one day and felt like there had to be another way. And anytime I would enter into like a Whole Foods, or I don't know if Whole Foods is really, it was Wild Oats. There's a couple of like dinky little health stores around and I'd walk in and I would always feel so expansive being in these places. So that's began my journey trying to seek out what could help me feel better. And that was that, that's how my passion started to grow. And then cut to, you know, many years later, I um, was living in New York and was having some health issues and found this practitioner who did something called nutrition response testing. And it just changed my health in a way that I have never even seen before ever. And it continues to do so. So after being a patient for six years, I became a practitioner myself. And now that's what I do. That sounds like quite the story. Now, could you explain exactly what that is, that type of nutritional testing for people who might not have heard of it before? So nutrition response testing is, is kind of like a form of muscle testing. We work with the body's autonomic nervous system, which makes us a little bit different. And the autonomic nervous system runs everything in the body. It's comprised of parasympathetic, rest, relaxation, digestion, and sympathetic, fight or flight, go, go, go. And if those are sending incorrect signals, nothing in the body is really going to operate properly. So we always make sure that the nervous system is in alignment. And then we run an organ point. So we never go after symptoms. We are looking for the underlying root cause of why the body is exhibiting these ailments. And you know, your body's like an onion. So depending on how many years you've lived, you have X amount of layers of just stuff that's just piled up over time. So each week I'm peeling back layers to get to the root cause of what's happening in people. And I use things called frequency vials because everything's energy. If you believe in electricity, you believe in energy. And my frequency vials are, are that of parasite, bacteria, virus, heavy metal, food allergy, fungal, you name it. And what we do is we test to see what is irritating the organs. And sometimes there are what we call barriers to healing. So let's say someone will come into my office with a blood test that shows very escalated levels of mercury, but the body won't present itself to me that way. The first layer that needs to be handled is mold. Because for example, if I didn't move the mold first and I just started to pull the mercury, they probably would feel very ill. So it's kind of just like going at the body's speed and process. And then since we lose thousands of cells a day, and it takes about 90 days for a new cell to regenerate. A new cell regenerates by pulling from the nutrients in our food. And unfortunately, our diets aren't perfectly organic and balanced with every macro and micronutrient that we need. And even if it was, our soil is nutrient deficient. It's not like it was 100 years ago with the advancement of technology. So did come the advancement of chemicals and you know 
GMOs and things like that. So therefore we are building defective cells and defective cells are what cause chronic issues. So my job is to go in and feed the body with whole food supplements and homeopathic remedies to help detox and feed the cells so that we start building healthy cells and the chronic issues go away. And I love that you mentioned that it's like peeling back the layers of an onion, because I think a lot of times, especially in our society today, everyone wants the quick fix. Let me take this pill and feel better. But ultimate healing really is like you mentioned, like peeling back the layers of the onion, seeing what the real root cause is. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And since it does take, like I said, 90 days for a new cell to regenerate, it is not a quick fix. My clients that are with me are with me for the long haul if they are interested in true healing, but you really have to be invested in your healing journey. Absolutely. Now you mentioned some of your health challenges with acne growing up. You also talk a lot about your history of PCOS and Hashimoto's. How did you deal with having these issues at such a young age? Well, I mean, at first, you know, I just went the medical route. I was just brought to doctor after doctor after doctor because that's what you do. And there weren't another, a lot of like holistic options back then. And so I was medicated. I was on so many different medications. I was on medications for depression, anxiety, for PCOS, for high testosterone, you know, whatever, you name it. And then it just, you know, one autoimmune leads to another. And since medications don't actually heal it, it just helps relieve symptoms. I started to get sicker and sicker and sicker, needing more and more medications. So I was just inundated with so many medications to the point where I couldn't take it anymore. And I just started doing some research and slowly started taking myself off one medication at a time. And so obviously PCOS is a condition that a lot of females really struggle with. How did you start getting rid of all the medications that you're on and start to heal yourself naturally? Well, I changed my diet. So PCOS is an insulin resistance issue, which they don't really talk about. It's almost like you're pre-diabetic. So if you don't live as if you are diabetic, like cut out all sugar, cut out all grains, cut out a lot of things that are very inflammatory for the body, then you're going to keep spiking your insulin levels. And when you do that, you're just continuing this PCOS cycle. And you're, when the pancreas is stressed out, the adrenals get stressed out, testosterone starts to shoot up. It just goes all over the place. So if you can you know, change your diet, which is what I did. And then eventually after years of doing that, I no longer needed the medication. Which is great to hear. And I mean, I think that there's probably a lot of people out there who might not have the patience, you know, to give it years. When you take the natural route, when you take the route of, you know, food being medicine, you know, that's the right long-term strategy, but it does sometimes take a while to feel that result. So a lot of people, unfortunately, you know, lose hope in the process and don't wait long enough to actually see the result of it. Totally. Now, what are your views on nutrition? Obviously, it's such a personalized thing and you know, it isn't a one-size-fits-all type of approach, but what are some of the key pillars regarding nutrition that you think most people would benefit from? I mean, drink water. People don't drink water. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't. So it's ideal to drink half your weight in ounces and to drink you know, mineral spring water, not tap water. And I wouldn't be downing alkaline water all day, every day because you're missing so many minerals. So water is a huge component, exercise, movement. Some people don't even move. I mean, just weightlifting alone build bone density. So if you're just doing yoga, let's say all the time and you're not lifting any weights, then you know, you're still not going to help prevent osteoporosis. So exercise and water is super important. Getting outside, seeing sunshine, looking at the sun, having it touch your skin is also super important. You know, we talk about, oh, sun's harmful rays and sun damage. A lot of that is from coming from your internal environment and like toxic sunscreens. The sun can be very healing and so can nature. People don't get outside enough. We're like in our homes, on our Wi-Fi, in front of our screens, and we're not getting like that grounding experience that nature can bring. Processed foods. So a lot of packaged foods. Packaged foods are fun. They taste good. But if you can't count the ingredients on one hand, then it doesn't really necessarily belong in your body because it's not really real food. We want stuff that comes from the ground. The more we cook, the better we're going to feel. I would say those are my top, top tools. Yeah. And those are some great tools. And I like that you mentioned the sun because I think there's so much misinformation about sunlight exposure. I see so many people, I mean, we're in Miami and even outside, they take such wild measures to block the sun from hitting their skin. And I'm like, if only they knew the benefit that the sun has, they wouldn't be doing that. I mean, it really is so healing. Yeah. You only need like 20 minutes max a day. Let's say if you're like a huge you know, person who's afraid of like sun damage, then 20 minutes is really all you need just to get some of the benefit. Absolutely. Now I'm curious, are you a fan of fasting? 
Um, I used to be, I used to do intermittent fasting. Like it was my job and, you know, came to the point where like, I wasn't even hungry in the morning. But then what happened was after a prolonged period of time, I lost my period and nine months was going by and I had no period. And then not only that, I was like exercising so much, but, but my body just looked kind of puffy. I wasn't having, I didn't have any like tone or anything like that. And my sex drive was gone. And what happened was, is that when you intermittent fast as a woman who's still supposed to be bleeding and, you know, producing babies, your body is like stressed out. You're putting your body into a state of stress. And so when I was consistently doing that every single day for such a long period of time, my adrenals started to get taxed. So then my adrenals were looking for an instant source. So it started pulling from my testosterone. Then my testosterone levels dropped tremendously. There went the sex drive. There went the muscle tone. And I lost my period. So I started eating breakfast. And then I started weightlifting. And then my period came back. And I love that you mentioned that because I think you know, social media can be a really great resource for people being exposed to a lot of health information. It's very easy to sometimes just jump on a bandwagon and what works for one person doesn't work for another. And a lot of the research that's been done on fasting has been on males. And I think, you know, females try to do like one meal a day or kind of try to do what, you know, the traditional fast. And sometimes that can lead to, like you said, all those kinds of symptoms. Totally. Totally. And look, intermittent fasting is great, especially for menopause and for men and for some women that really need to lose weight and regulate their blood sugar. But you also have to be careful. Some women intermittent fast and then they end up binging. So later on in the day, so that's not helping anything. So it's not necessarily for everyone. And, you know, one day a week, especially if you're still bleeding is a great way to start off. Yeah. A hundred percent. And I think, like you said, still being mindful in the hours that you are eating, uh, you know, if you are fasting are still super important. I do think that a lot of times people might justify eating something that, you know, they quote unquote, shouldn't, uh, just because they know they have a fast coming. Now, even if people aren't fasting, you know, we're big fans of detoxing and it seems like you are as well. I've seen you post a lot about coffee enemas, which I'd love to speak about the benefits of. Uh, so what are your thoughts on detoxing? Cause again, even in a perfect world where, you know, we're all super mindful of our choices, we are still exposed to lots of toxins and, and mold and things that are out of our control. So I think detoxing, like serious detoxing should always be led by a practitioner because you can get Herxheimer reactions. And sometimes when you move things in the body that don't necessarily need to be moved, you start ending up with all these other issues. So I often find, especially living in Los Angeles, people love this, what I like to call medical tourism. So they'll go from one practitioner to another, to another, and they're on all these different things for detox. And then they'll start doing all the things on the side of it which are all great things, lymphatic drainage, infrared saunas, cupping, uh, ice cold, cold plunges, cryotherapy, you name it. But sometimes, especially if you're on a guided detox protocol and you start doing all these extra detox things, push your body so fast, like I said, you might feel, you may feel very unwell. So I think detox, while it's great, it should be intentional and specifically targeted. Absolutely. I, I definitely agree with you on that. I think sometimes you know, we want to feel better quickly. So we just think doing all the things will get us there faster, but sometimes it does quite the opposite. I think too much of a good thing is not always good. (laughs) Totally. Now going back to coffee enemas, I'm a big fan of them and I know you are as well. So I'd love to discuss some of the benefits of coffee enemas. So coffee enemas is one of the strongest liver detoxes you can do, which is excellent. Um, I actually haven't done a coffee enema in a year probably. I got really into water enemas recently, but coffee enemas are excellent for detoxing the liver and getting rid of like boosting the immune system, essentially getting the gallbladder working again also helps with energy. It's excellent, especially for people who are feeling very ill. I do. I'm a huge fan of coffee enemas, but when you, again, like any detox method, when you do too many of them, you can also end up stressing out your adrenals because essentially you are putting coffee in one of the most absorbent parts of your body. And it can be hard on the kidneys over time if you're doing it too often. So what I did was, while I still think it's important to get everything out, especially if you're doing things to like detox fungus or parasite or whatever, I got really into distilled water enemas. And so that actually ended up healing my gut this year. I've always had a little bit of a gut issue and now I don't at all because I was really going at it with, with the, um, distilled water enemas and now I have zero issues. And I love that you mentioned that you noticed that 
you were doing the coffee enemas and maybe they weren't serving you anymore. And intuitively you knew to switch to the distilled water. Now I'm curious, because obviously, like we said, too much of a good thing isn't always good. How often do you do the water enemas? Um, when I first started, I was doing them four to five times a week because I was on this process of trying to get everything out that was stuck from over the years. And now I probably do them. It just depends on if I'm traveling or not. Like I didn't do really any over vacation. So I'd say I went like three weeks with nothing. And then I did two in this past week. But it just depends on, I just listen to my body and how I feel. And if I start to drag or if I'm, you know, feeling unwell, things like that, you know, there's, our colon is one of the most toxic parts of our body. So it's also a huge component of our immune system. So if you replace with probiotics, you're totally fine. And if you're using distilled water and you're cleaning your tools, it's completely safe and super effective in, in keeping the body, you know, in tip top shape. Absolutely. I mean, it has immense health benefits, but even then, I mean, you know, you definitely could feel the detox symptoms. You know, I know I've recommended them to friends before and, you know, they would do it and it would be a successful session and they would, you know, maybe feel lethargic after. And so like those kinds of symptoms are completely normal. And, you know, even though it's helping, yeah, even though it's helping your long-term health doesn't mean that in the moment you're going to feel incredible. Also, when like when you start pulling things out of the body like that, and then you make room for the small intestine to start dropping down into the colon, that old stuff that's calcified against those walls, because there's a there's a there's a turn every two inches in your small intestine. So not everything is going running through there very smoothly. So when that stuff starts to drop down into your colon, that really toxic stuff, well, it starts to get reabsorbed into the bloodstream if it's not immediately starting to move out of the body. And when that reabsorption starts, that's when we get insane bloating, gas, constipation, cramping, things like that, because it's just toxic, toxic stuff sitting in there. Right. Absolutely. Now, are you a fan of binders, especially when you are like doing saunas and like we said, the enemas? I don't always use binders. Um, I only use them if I'm like on a heavy metal protocol, but you know, while I love like, like bentonite clays is actually a lot easier on the body than like activated charcoal. A lot of people abuse activated charcoal in the wrong way. They'll be taking it. Problem is this stuff absorbs everything. So if you're taking it anywhere within two hours of everything else you're taking, you're absorbing everything. Also, I've seen some binders when people are binding too much and then they're like going into saunas and they're not being like, they're not being um, led on a detox protocol. They, their skin tart starts to like get super dehydrated and almost like age. It looks like it's aging. It's not. It's just that so much, so much nutrients and hydration is getting just pulled. So it's important to, to, you know, just be mindful and not overdo it. You don't always need a binder when you go into the sauna, but if you are on like heavy metal detox or let's say a mold detox binders are essential part of the process. Yeah. And I always laugh whenever I see like a juice or smoothie place, they'll promote like, you know, a charcoal smoothie and it has, you know, like 15, 20 incredible ingredients in it. And then they throw in the charcoal and I'm like, oh, you know, that the person drinking it, just absorbs it gonna, everything. Exactly. Yeah. They're not going to get the benefits out of all those great ingredients. Yeah. I saw this little kid come into my office. Her mom took her somewhere and she got a charcoal lemonade because the kid liked the taste of it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you can't be giving that to your child. Like whatever she ate for lunch or, you know, snack or whatever, it's just, it's like drawing in everything. Like she shouldn't be having charcoal at this age. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, unless she has food poisoning, you know, exactly. Yeah. And if you take it again, you just have to space it out. That's what I do. Yeah. Take it totally for sure. Now I'd love to speak with you a little bit about Adderall. I feel like, you know, Adderall is such an important topic and something that a lot of people do struggle with. I know that you were on Adderall for, for quite some time and you were able to detox yourself off it. So I'd love for you to share your story with us. I was on Adderall for 13 years and I was put on it because I was considered slow in school, but really I was just a big daydreamer. I was didn't have ADHD. I wasn't hyper. I was just like very sleepy and daydreamy, but I also hated school. <laughs> I hated all the subjects, like anything, the stuff that would like, you know, pique my interest was like when we had like a senior, senior seminar and there was a class called search for meaning. And I'm like, now this is up my alley. <laughs> but um, I really like, couldn't like care less about math, or some science stuff was interesting to me, but just lost interest. I didn't have any interest. So what this did was just jack me up. So I was like super hyper and overly focused and whatever. I was faster at tests and I could actually listen in class instead of daydreaming. 
but essentially, you know, at the end of the day, it's just speed. So I, uh, got hooked on it because it's also, you know, boosts your dopamine at first. Then it ends up t- telling your brain, Hey brain, like take a back seat. Don't worry about building that dopamine. I got you. But because it spikes so much dopamine and it's like so speedy that it also causes a lot of like obsessive compulsive disorder, like obsession over things mentally, as well as a lot of anxiety and depression. So you might get a high, but it's just like doing a bump of cocaine. You get a high at first and then you're down again, searching for the coke. So that's kind of how this drug behaves. And I was on it for 13 years and I just one day woke up and I was like, why isn't my life going the way I want it to go? And you know, already being my natural God-given temperament was slightly more on the anxious side. So this just amplified all that. And I realized like the people that I wanted to emulate in life, people that I thought were quote expanders, in my opinion, were not taking speed all day long. And they were happy and joyous and confident and at peace within themselves. And I was like, I want that. The only way to do it is to stop taking this thing that says amphetamine on it. And so I did. And, you know, it was a process for the detox, but it changed my life. Absolutely. And I think it's such a shame because obviously there are, you know, individuals who do struggle with ADHD and maybe that is what they need at the moment, but it's a shame that kids are put on it at a really young age and they're not really told all of the side effects or how it may affect them later on. And it's really not giving them the ultimate decision on what they want to do for their body. We just don't celebrate people's creative learning differences. So everybody's got to fit into a box, which I understand. Look, like I'm not, I'm not here to like reinvent the school system and start coming up. Like that's, I get it. It's, it's tough for, for everything, but to figure it all out and create an environment, there are some great schools, but again, you have to have the finances to be able to attend those schools. But yeah, I, I definitely think that it's an overprescribed medication to just get kids to like, you know, get interested in their work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even look at you, you're a perfect example of someone who is thriving in their business. You're passionate about what you do without the need of Adderall. Exactly. So what was the withdrawal like for you? Like how did you have to kind of taper off the dose that you were on? What were some of the symptoms you were having? How long did it really take for you to fully get rid of um, Adderall? I don't believe in tapering Adderall unless you are above six, if you're at 60 milligrams or more. But if you're below that, you can just stop. You're just going to get tired. So I slept a lot. I forced, you have to, you, you have to force yourself to move your body. So, um, I ha- would have a friend come pick me up and we would go to workout classes together. I just had to like resume life as I normally would. I would take naps if I needed to take naps. I didn't go out to eat. I was in control of all my food to make sure that I was in control of what went into my gut so that I wouldn't get brain fog and then crave Adderall. I stopped drinking for 21 days. That's mandatory. Um, I say 21 because when I say 30, people are like, oh, 30 days, no alcohol. But if you say 21, it kind of tricks their brain to like, I can do that. So I say that. And then it's it's because the alcohol, you don't know what it's like to really have a hangover. If you, um, or even just to feel a little bit like tired because you just use the Adderall to override it. Because also when you drink alcohol, you're not really truly getting enough sleep or good sleep. And then hence Adderall the next day. I just basically had to be patient with myself. And it's a roller coaster ride. It's a drug withdrawal. So withdrawal is not linear. It's up and down. So while I felt maybe great the first three months, the fourth, fifth month, I remember I hit a stage of apathy that was actually quite scary. I've never felt apathetic to life before, which is like completely indifferent. You don't feel happy. You don't feel sad. You just feel like it's it's a weird feeling. And I just knew that I had to like rebuild my dopamine. And even last year, like, listen, I was going through a breakup and I was feeling super down. It was hard for me to like feel like what could spark joy. And I felt like I was just overstimulated with work and, you know, my phone and television and whatever, too much caffeine. And so to rebuild my dopamine, I just started like long, long hikes in quiet, no music, no nothing. I mean, classical music can help rebuild oxytocin and dopamine, but like any other type of music, pop music, rock music, Those are artificial spikes in your dopamine. And I think it's so inspiring that, you know, you're taking the initiative on really like saying like, I don't want to go back to Adderall. So I'm going to do all of these things and change my daily habits so that I can build up that dopamine in a natural, more effective way. Totally. Now I know obviously Adderall um, can help a lot of people lose weight and you were a model in New York city. And I'm just curious if you saw, you know, models kind of 
overusing Adderall for weight loss? I never, it's funny. I never saw models using Adderall and I always thought like I was the only one holding a prescription. I mean, I think they would all do like cocaine at the nightclubs, but like I thought I was the only one because I was also surrounded by a lot of like model foreign models. Like one of my best friends was like a German model. She never heard of what Adderall is before. So I, I, since all these girls were not from the U S they didn't exactly know what this was. So they had their own different type of eating disorder, but weren't using Adderall to like stop them from eating. I found that to be more of like a people who grew up in the U S were abusing it rather than a lot of the models that was around. So I don't think it was, maybe some girls got prescribed it that I don't know because they had to lose weight, but that was never within my immediate like friend group or the people that I would associate with. There were a lot of stylists on Adderall, I'll tell you that much. (laughs) They were hopped up on all kinds of shit. Wow. That's wild. Again, a lot of times, you know, when we have a job in the moment, like we think we're willing to do anything for our job, but it should never come at the expense of our health. No, no. And you just get high, you get high and you're in a city that's like so much adrenaline. And like, I mean, it's exciting. I get it. But like when you come down off of that and like, no, it's in your body, just there's always a crash and it always, plus it's like being that speedy person is not like, um, you're not like the most magnetic, attractive person. Yeah, definitely not. I'm sure that, you know, a lot of times people find a hard time being around you when you're in that zone. Confidence is what makes people, you know, that's what makes us drawn to one another is bravery and confidence. And I think Adderall makes you confidently insecure. So you have this bravado of like, Ooh, yeah, I got this. But you're like so jittery and like, so like overanalyze everything. And so then it's just, you're not actually confident. Definitely. And speaking of confidence, I know you've spoken about having body dysmorphia, especially being in the modeling industry. So I'm curious, you seem like a very confident, very secure person now. So I'm curious for anyone struggling with confidence issues or insecurity, what would your recommendation be to them? Oof. Um, it really depends on where the lack of confidence is coming from. If it's body, if it's work, if it's, you know, I don't know, something else, it's always just comes from a place of not being enough. And when you're lacking, when you have that feeling of not being enough, you got to figure out, well, why is it? You have to really get into it and unpack, like, why is it that I don't feel like I am enough as is in my true essence? And kind of like, I think what's super helpful is like a great starting place is to take it back to when you were a kid, like get a photo of yourself at like three or four or five. And think about that child. And if you would tell that child that they're not enough, or if you would make them feel like they were not enough, or if you would make them do the things that you're doing, that's harming yourself right now. Um, And most likely you would not. So if you, that little kid once existed, that little kid's still inside of you and you're still that little kid. So you have to make sure that you are taking care of that little kid. So I always like to start there. And think of like, what would, what does little Vanessa need right now? Why does little Vanessa, she's definitely more than enough. So why am I treating, you know, the adoption of Vanessa this way? And it's important because it's a deep psychological thing to feel like you're not enough. And that's what you have to start working on. You can, you can look at all the positive affirmations and all that, but you have to do the deep inner work and unpack that stuff in order to have lasting changes. Definitely. And I think a lot of those issues that we may have as adults stem from a young age. So I definitely think that talking to our younger self really makes us a little bit kinder to ourselves. And therapy is super helpful if you can find like a really good therapist. Um, yeah. And I, I think like people also tend to hold on to and they blame their parents or, you know, whoever raised them for their trauma. But like that, it's at a certain point, you got to give that up. Like, you know, everybody's doing the best that they can with the tools that they have. And they've met you as far as they've met themselves. And if you've had parents that haven't met themselves that far, well, I'm sorry, that sucks. But like time to time to get over it and become an adult and like figure out a way to to improve your life. And that's what I had to do. A hundred percent. And again, look, I mean, no matter who you are, you know, you have a unique set of challenges, but at a certain point, you have to just accept it and and try to work on it. A hundred percent. Yeah. And again, I think another great point that you mentioned is that you really have to do that deep inner work. I think that nowadays with, you know, affirmations becoming so trendy and like visualization becoming such a big part of people's lives, all those things are great. But 
a lot of times, if you haven't worked through those inner issues, you know, affirmations aren't going to help you. Sometimes it's going to make you feel even worse. So you really have to do that deep inner work first. And then those things on the side could definitely help out as well. A hundred percent. Now, I know you've spoken about kind of being in your late twenties, early thirties, and you felt like you still hadn't figured out maybe your career, your personal life, whatever it is. And I'm curious, like the advice that you would have for someone that's in, you know, their late twenties, thirties, who still feels that they haven't figured it out. I mean, we, none of us have figured it all out, but any advice that you have? Um, Youth is wasted on the young. (laughs) Enjoy (laughs) your youth. It's all going to work out exactly as it should. If you just keep going and following your joy, follow your bliss, follow your joy and just try things. It's okay. If you fail, there's actually no such thing as failure, but like, if you try something and it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. Like you'll move on from that. You'll rebound from that. That's a learning experience. That thing is priceless. It was meant to happen. It's just that when we try to control everything in our lives, we feel more out of control. And it's kind of just like letting go, letting go of the grip of the situation so that it can organically fall into place. Try things, but don't have a rigid expectation or a marriage to like what you think the outcome should be. And this goes for relationships and for work stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause the more you have your, your, you're totally set on the outcome and you have these rigid expectations, the more it's going to hurt. And the more you're just going to keep perpetuating the process. So as soon as I just like, let go, let go, let God, whatever. And I just, kept going after the things that brought me joy, that's when everything fell into place rather than thinking I have to be here. I should be here. And this is what it should look like. And, you know, um, just shooting all over myself. And I mean, I didn't get my career settled until I was 32. So, you know, it's never too late. Exactly. And one you know, a failed relationship is just leading you one step closer to your person or a failed job or career is leading you closer to the career that you want or meant to be in. So kind of as long as you learn about yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You got to take inventory of yourself and learn about it and like, like sit there and like people self-awareness, if you can be self-aware, literally you have the key to whatever you want in life. It's really just learning and mastering yourself. That's what I always say. And I think a big reason why so few people have that is because they don't spend enough time alone. I think there's like this stigma of spending alone time and so many people are afraid of it. But if we're constantly surrounded by noise, whether it be, you know, being out with people or just, you know, being on our phones, constantly talking to people and listening to things, we really sort of like block out that inner voice and we never really get to know what it is that we need. So I think like spending more alone time is super important. Yeah. Cause you have to learn to like yourself because if you don't really like yourself, it's really hard to get someone else to like you. <laughs> So it's really like, you know, learning how to like and love yourself and, um, and start from there. And I get it. Like I grew up as an only child. I hated being alone for the longest time until it just got to the point where I was like, no, I, I enjoy my company. But part of it is also just accepting parts about yourself that you maybe looked at as flaws or, you know, things like that. And just going, you know, this is like a part of me. How can I work with this character trait or this whatever habit. For sure. And that's why, I mean, I always say the most important relationship we have is with ourselves and people always find it funny when I say that, but it's true. I mean, we really do have to, to get to know ourselves, embrace ourselves, work on ourselves and figure out what it is that we need. Yeah. It's the oxygen mask theory that you have to put your oxygen mask on first. I have a lot of clients, you know, moms that will come in and their whole life is about their child, but then all of a sudden the next year, you know, like they're going through divorce, they're going through trauma or whatever is because they never took care of themselves. So therefore they became like, maybe they were a great mom, but perhaps they're too overbearing or, you know, they neglected their husband. They just lost their relationship with themselves. And you've got to keep that first and foremost before taking care of everyone else around you. Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of gruesome, but like we're born alone and we die alone. So you, you have to take care of yourself. Now, 100%. Yeah. So now going back to, I know you're um, an NRT specialist. You're also a holistic health coach. You help people detox from Adderall. What, so if someone's interested in working with you, what kind of conditions can you help treat? So I help everything from anxiety and depression to autoimmune disorders. I don't do cancer. I refer out for that. I don't do Lyme. I can help relieve the symptoms of Lyme, but to cure Lyme, I send also somewhere else. I do any sort of gut thing, you name it, SIBO, IBS, uh, 
anything and everything and any skin disorders. Basically, it just has to be chronic. You have to have a chronic problem. Maybe you, you know, have pots where every time you stand up, you faint or you have vitiligo, your skin's bleaching, things like that. So anything chronic and that's what I can help. And I mean, I'm sure that, you know, since you work with so many issues, you found that you could pretty much heal almost anything naturally, right? For sure. For sure. Hormonal imbalances, you name it. It also, it just, it depends on the individual too, because everybody has to keep in mind that you have to also believe that you can heal because if you, whatever you're doing, I don't care what method it is. Cause my method is not the only method and way of healing. But if you, every single day are waking up going, I'm not getting better. I'm not going to get better. You will not get better. It doesn't matter what you're putting in your body. A hundred percent. And that's what I was going to ask you next is how big of an impact does, does the mind have in the healing journey? Cause you know, I mean, you could do everything physically. That's, that's the right protocol, but if you don't really accept it mentally, are you really going to get better? I mean, it's huge. It's huge. The emotional component, your relationships with your, with everybody, your family, your coworkers, your significant other, yourself, everything is, it comes into play when it comes to actually healing your body and healing a person. Like I can't tell you how many times I'll see a client go on vacation and they'll have like the best vacation of their life. And they'll come back and their body has like healed itself in so many ways where I have to have them like take a step back and look and like, okay, well, let's look at what your everyday life, your reality, what's not serving you. Mm-hmm. Because when you come back, you're all of a sudden your ailments come back. Yeah. So we have to shift something. Now we can't always be on vacation, but what we can do is take a look at like, well, how do I create a lifestyle that, you know, is more conducive to my inner peaks? That's so interesting that you would notice that after a vacation, so many people would come back healed. Oh yeah. I've seen, and I've seen clients like literally like I've helped them on with anxiety and depression and they're just like coasting. They're doing phenomenal and they'll go away. Like I had one client, she went away, she went to a wedding and she came back and literally she was like, I'm depressed and nothing's working this, that, and the other, like, like really spinning out. And I was like, okay, let's like take a step back. What I found out was she went home to a wedding and literally all her friends, everybody's married or partnered up or whatever. And she's turning 30 and she's feeling the pressure. And then all of a sudden what happens? Negative thoughts come in. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. Why not me? And then you start feeding yourself that stuff. And then you start spiraling and obsessing. And then what happens? Your organs just start going crazy. Mm -hmm. And so that's literally what happened to her. That's wild. And once she realized that she took ownership of it, she realized that she's going to draw a boundary and stop going to weddings for a little while. And she's totally fine. And that goes back to the self-awareness and you were able to guide her, you know, to become a little bit more self-aware about why she wasn't feeling so well physically. Yeah. I mean, I'm also like, and I know through my own journey, my clients teach me things. They help me become aware of things. And then from my own experience, I continue to learn and grow and things like that. You know, I'll often see sometimes people are in the wrong relationship and they'll have this like weird skin rash that always comes up and always comes up, especially when they're fighting when they're with their significant other. Wow. And as soon as they break up with that person, what happens? No more skin rash. That's wild how our body communicates with ourselves, isn't it? It's really crazy. The body is, is a very intelligent being. That's wild. Now, another question that I have for you is because you work with so many patients who have chronic issues, do you run into the issue a lot of times where people just don't know what it feels like to feel good or they don't feel that they deserve to feel good because they felt sick for so long that they have a lot of trouble healing? No, it's more so like people don't know what it's like to actually feel good where it's like it almost, they may have like one giant symptom, but then a bunch of little ones that they think of, it's almost like that's just their normal So it's not until like we heal that completely and they feel amazing and they're like, they forget because when you're at that amazing point, you're like, you forget just how bad you felt until something happens, a shoe drops and you start to experience some old symptoms. And then that's when you're like, holy smokes, like, wow, like how far have I come? This is what it's like to feel good. Wow. Like, I can't believe that I lived my life feeling this crappy for that long. Absolutely. And I think society also has, or like the healthcare industry in general has normalized us feeling fatigued or brain fogged or overweight. And it's a lot of these symptoms are normalized in our society. So people don't actually know what it's like to feel optimal. hundred, totally, totally. Absolutely. 
Now, it seems like you work with different kinds of energies all day. So obviously that at some point could possibly, you know, rub off on you or, you know, towards the end of the day, especially. So I'm curious if you have any rituals of just kind of cleansing your energy at the end of a day. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, I'm unfortunately, since I'm type A, like I'm go, go, go. So then I'll forget to cleanse my energy. And then all of a sudden Friday rolls around because I don't see patients on Friday and I will literally be in a coma. So I, I have, I, I, what I try to do is like, if I take a shower, I'm imagining that the water is coming down and washing away from me. And I actually visualize that like it's washing it away. I always try between patients to be like, um, what's theirs is theirs. What's mine is mine. Um, and also I sometimes use things like Palo Santo to, to try and like cleanse myself or some sage just to do some energy clearing, um, and a little bit of cord cutting where like, I'll swipe my arms, like my, sorry, my palms across my belly button just to try and close my eyes and like visualize just cutting the cords from all the clients in case somebody has energetically attached themselves to me. That's important. And even for people who aren't in, you know, the space of healing others, we're all surrounded by so many different energies every day. And a lot of us might feel drained and not know where it comes from. So it is good to clear our energies once in a while, whether it be in the shower or by burning some incense or just figuring out whatever works for us. No, totally. Yeah. Everybody you come into contact with, you could be sitting on a subway and somebody's energy could creep into your energetic field and be stuck there. For sure. Now you mentioned that you're super type A as a mind. So I'm curious how you find balance while still maintaining structure. Cause it seems, you know, based on, on your lifestyle that you do have balance and, you know, you seems like your cups are filled, you know, whether it be professionally, socially, whatnot. So how do you find that balance while still having your daily structure? Well, last year I went, you know, I see my own practitioner and I also see some other healers and I kept being told at one point, like, you need to play more. Like there's literally nothing wrong. You need, you need more play in your life. And I would think like, I have enough play in my life, but I wasn't actually playing. I was like doing things like if it's, if I'm not like doing something that produces something or is productive, it was like always like I'm doing something to achieve an end goal. And I was like, well, what if I just played and did nothing with no end goal? And I have to start doing that. So I started playing more, which was essential to my well-being um and not to burn out and i try my hardest because i when i'm in it i'm a little bit of an extremist which is also i don't know if it's really balanced it's like black or white so like when i'm on i'm on so i'm like weeks at a time seeing 85 people a week back to back keep going 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 and then i'm like ah oh, i need a week off and then i'll take a week off usually once out of the year i'll take an entire month off but I just make sure that I give myself that time because every time I come back, I'm re-energized. I'm better than I ever was before. And my clients respect it. And it teaches them to also let go and have fun because life is meant to be enjoyed and you're meant to have fun. Exactly. I completely agree with you. And I think rest is definitely underrated. And whether you're a religious person or not, I mean, we're Jewish, but like, if you look at the Sabbath, for example, there's a reason there is a day dedicated just to rest. And obviously that can include play, but you know, you don't always have to work and go, 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 go. Exactly. What sign are you, by the way? I'm just curious. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a Scorpio sun, Scorpio rising cancer moon. So like, I'm literally the worst sign ever. No, you're I'm, like my brother. <laughs> I'm a fellow Scorpio. Oh really? Yeah, no. So the triple water thing is like, I'm drowning in myself all the time. It makes me a great healer. And I've had to really learn. That's another thing. I've had to really learn to work with this as like a power and not become victim of it because most of my life being triple water you fall into that super emotional depth victimization thing going on where it's like everything is, and you just got to figure out a way to just catch yourself. And I think the more I learned about these signs and my birth chart and whatever is the more I got to like, okay, yeah, I can tend to like get obsessive about things. Um, you know, I can tend to control certain aspects like how, so now when I, I can catch those tendencies, I think astrology is super fun. It doesn't have to be black or white, but I think it's a great way to like go, oh, hey, like maybe I do have these personality traits and how can I use them as like a power rather than like a, you know, a, an issue? 
hundred percent. We're in the same boat. And I think that's why it's super important to not only know your sun sign, but to know a little bit more than that, because a lot of times, you know, you'll look up your sign and group yourselves with just that sign alone, but depending on your rising, depending on your moon, depending on, you know, the other placements as well, it, it does change your makeup as opposed to just the sun sign. So it is important to know who you are and just some of the, you know, just constitutional elements of, of your structure so that you know how to work with it and really maximize your potential. Yeah. Yeah. Like the other planets are, are super important too. And everybody's so individual. It's like when you read those generic horoscopes, I'm always like, oh, you know, it's fun, but like, that's not, it's not it because people are like, I don't believe in astrology. Like, well, I don't know if you've really gone into like the depths of it then. Exactly. Exactly. And us Scorpios definitely love astrology. <laughs> I've just began, um, uh, converting to Judaism and even no my, that's amazing. Yeah. My rabbi is very heavy into astrology because she says that the Jewish religion runs on the moon calendar. Mm-hmm. And so she is really into the spiritual mysticism side and loves astrology. And it's, it's fun to see how she ties it into the Jewish religion. It's really fun. Yeah. That's probably a really great process of converting because you're getting to see it from a more spiritual lens as well. Yeah. Very cool. Now, are there any books or documentaries, podcasts that have sort of helped you on your journey, whether it be health and wellness related, mindset related, just anything that's that's impacted your life in a positive way? I love Ben Greenfield's podcast for health information. It's hard, like emotional stuff and internal life. Like it'll be like a one-off on one person's podcast or another or whatever. It just depends on who they're interviewing. Documentaries. It's so hard because I think of a lot of these documentaries are like propaganda. Yeah. And it depends on who's making the documentary and how they want to skew it. So while they're all very entertaining, like take them all with a grain of salt. Um, I really like Michael Pollan's book, How to How to Change Your Mind, all about psychedelics. And yeah, I'd say like uh, Genius Foods by my friend Max Lugavere is also really excellent, Eating for the Brain. Yeah, I'd say those are like my probably my top books. I always tell most of my clients that are on birth control, I tell them to read your brain on birth control to try and get them to come off of it. Yeah. And I'm sure, do you see a lot of young females on birth control? Yeah. But most of the time they come off, especially after I'm done convincing them Um, (laughs) because they come to me with all these chronic issues. I'm like, I can't help you unless we take this out of your body. So let's, let's get on board here. So I I send them reading material, homework assignments, and then eventually they all come around to it. Absolutely. And it's, again, one of those things kind of like Adderall, like girls at a young age are put on birth control, you know, having some symptoms that, and then years later, if they try to get pregnant, those symptoms are still there. If not worse, they've just been suppressed for years. Exactly. Now, I'd love to know a little bit about your morning routine. My morning routine. I get up, I wake up, I drink like 20 ounces of water just to make sure I'm waking up hydrated. Um, I try not to reach for my phone. I sometimes will check my aura app to see what my sleep was like. And then I get up and I start boiling hot water to make a matcha and I start journaling and I have to journal every morning. And I just write like stream of conscious things that are coming out of my mind, like whatever things I'm stressed about, things I'm excited about and write a bunch of things I'm grateful for. And that usually takes me about five minutes. Sometimes I get carried away and keep writing. Um, And then I'll get up and get ready to head to work. So it's nothing really crazy. Yeah. Works for I think, you. I'd say journaling is important, and the you know I that's usually when I have to be at work at eight, but because I work out at five. But on Mondays I'll go to the gym first. You work out at five? Yeah. Oh, PM. I have to. Yeah, five PM. Yeah. Nice. And are you a fan of meditating at all? Are there any other practices that you have for mental health in addition to journaling? Um, I like moving meditations. Meditating is has always been a challenge for me. Breath work, I much prefer to meditating because mm-hmm. it's moving energy out of me. I fell in love with hiking, long long distance hiking, and so that's my form of meditation. So I'll go and just be quiet and alone with my thoughts. And the repetitive movement of one foot in front of the other is um, my form of getting my brain to be present and start meditating on you know the present moment. 
I'm really glad you mentioned hiking and getting outdoors. I mean, I moved to Arizona five years ago and that's when I kind of just started hiking and you feel such a difference after a hike than if you just like went on a run on a treadmill. Oh, yeah. You need, you need that fresh air. You need the nature. You need to be able to use your entire peripheral vision. It just, it really just helps everything. Definitely. Now, one question that we love to ask all of our guests is if you could have tea with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Wow. You could think about it. You could think about it for as long as you need. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a trick question. There's no right or wrong answer. I've never thought of this before. I think I would really love to have tea with my biological grandmother on my father's side. I don't know her. I've Googled her. I know who she is. And I've always, I've just really wanted to meet her. And I love that you mentioned that because I think obviously, again, no right or wrong answer, but I think there's so much that we can learn from our ancestors and we, and we learn so much about ourselves too, versus just looking for kind of outside sources, you know? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Is that still a possibility? Like, I, I don't, I hate to ask, but like, is she still around or, or no? She's apparently still around. Um, oh. I mean, I haven't triple checked, but like she's old and I don't know. I feel like it would be um, very disruptive to the family life. I it's, it's a, that's like a tough one. Like, you know, how much of it I could always try. I think it's, I think it'd be nice before she dies, but yeah, again, I'm sure she would enjoy it even more than you would. So you never know. Yeah. But she doesn't know if I don't, I mean, I don't know if she's in as I exist or not, but like, yeah. Who knows? Yeah. I know I should just try it. <laughs> you might as well just give it a go. So you have no regrets and, and see what happens. You never know what could come out of it. Yeah, that's true. For sure. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah. Now for anyone out there, who's going to listen to this conversation that wants to learn more about your work or potentially work with you, where are the best places to reach you at? So you can find me on Instagram at V's honey. If you want to work with me, email me at info at vshoney.com. My website is vshoney.com. And yeah, those are the best places to find me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, for sharing so much great wisdom and insight with us. We both learned a lot. Thanks. I really appreciate it. I had fun. Thank you so much. All right. I'll talk to you guys later. Of course. Have a good one. Enjoy your weekend. Shabbat shalom. (laughs) Shabbat shalom. (laughs) Go have some challah. Yes. And um, wishing you all the best. All right. Thanks, guys. You too. Take care. Thanks for joining us on our episode with Vanessa Fitzgerald. Vanessa shared such great insight with us on our health and wellness journey, tips for living a healthy and meaningful life, and the power of detoxing. As always, if you have any questions, you can email us at podcast at drinkdowntoearth.com or get in touch with us on our Instagram at drinkdte. In the meantime, stay healthy and stay hydrated. Cheers. Now it's time for you to go out there and do at least one small thing to better your health today. Always choose to make your life a healthier, happier, and a more down-to-earth place. Until next time. Cheers to good health.